So Gunnar, how's, how's the weather in Texas? I tell you, the weather has actually been lovely. It was 80 today. Um, clear skies. Uh, yesterday was spectacular. Today's a little bit overcast. I'd mm-hmm. say about, about half cloud cover. Um, but, uh, it's, it really has been, uh, been lovely recently. I'm, I'm feeling actually a little bit cheated, uh, cause I haven't gotten much of a taste of winter. Um, I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about visiting Akron. I saw these photos of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like you do, I was, uh, perusing photos of, uh, abandoned shopping malls and, mm-hmm. uh, I stumbled on, uh, stumbled on this one mall in Akron, mm-hmm. um, where the ceiling fell in and, uh, you know, the escalators covered in snow, stuff like that. That looked cool. Mm-hmm. That looked cool. Yeah, it's very, it's very, uh, seasonal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you, uh, have you been to that, uh, have you been to that, uh, that shopping no. mall? Okay. No, I, I think it, it closed before, I don't know if it closed before I moved to, uh, moved here in 99 or, or what, but no, I, I don't think I've ever been there. And I know there's another mall that's abandoned in Cleveland. So whenever you come up to visit, that abandoned mall. There's another nice abandoned mall in Cleveland that uh, is in the process of being demolished too. So nice. Um, yeah, it's it's a nice eyesore. I can't wait for. It. <laughs> it's like I, I drive past it often when I'm taking my daughter to school, and it's just like ugh, yeah, pretty yucky. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, these uh, looking at these photos here. I mean, these malls though look kind of zombie ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they oh got, yeah, they got that going for them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's like you could you would think that the like city of Akron or Cleveland would do a deal with somebody to do like some poco, uh, post-apocalyptic movie or something there. Right, um, right. Mm-hmm. And the, well, I mean, and with the amusement park, right? We discussed in a previous episode. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's all kinds of location scouts are falling down on the job here. We got a zombie-rich environment over there in uh, Western yep. Ohio. Yeah. 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 So uh, actually, Eastern, but um, right, yeah. Eastern. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but it's like 10 degrees here freezing. And, uh, I've been last week I tried to travel again and my flights got canceled and cause of the, the weather. And, um, and it's funny, it's like, I was like, you know, like there are people freaking out like usual and I'm just like, it is what it is. I'm not going to, it's not worth having a heart attack over. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's this one guy, he's like, Oh, I never traveled before. I don't know what to do and everything. And I, I kind of felt bad for him. And I, I took him aside and I'm like, look, you know, here's here's the deal of of what you know what's going on because he didn't have a place to stay or anything like that, and it wound up that the the flight we were supposed to leave on the plane was there but we didn't have a crew, and the crew uh, was on a Charlotte to Akron flight, and then that flight was having mechanical difficulties and had to turn around and fly back to Charlotte. So like our flight got canceled, and I, I told him I'm like yeah so I'm like well if you you know, in, in his, so it's the kind of thing like if it's weather, um, they're not the airlines aren't going to do anything for you. Um, if anything, they'll give you what's called a distressed passenger voucher, um, and that's happened to me several times at uh, Reagan National, where it's like uh, you could stay at the the Marriott or something like that for like a hundred bucks. So it's it's a deeply discounted hotel uh, uh, stay that you can get, um, which is nice. I mean, it's better than nothing. But but if it's mechanical, then they are obligated to put you up in a hotel, and that's what I was telling him. Is that you know even if our flight got can you know got canceled because of weather it, or it got canceled because of missing crew, it's not because of weather. It's because of mechanical difficulties on the plane that they're trying to come in on. So I, I told him to sort of fight on that, and uh, yeah. And then the other thing was it, they were like trying to rebook me, and they're like, oh well, we could put you on the next flight 
the next day, which it's like it eliminated the need for me to even travel. And I'm just like, I'll do it over video conference and, and um, because I would have had to do something like totally unnatural, you know, to get there on time. And it's like, it wasn't worth it. Right. So, uh, they refunded my ticket too, which, which again is another probably little known thing that I'm sure you buy a non-refundable ticket. You think that you can't refund it or whatever. But, um, in the case where, you know, things get so jacked up or it's because of weather, um, you like I would go up and I would talk to the the people at the at the at the gate and everything and and you know they took care of me so it was it was pretty nice they refunded me so you got to enjoy the good weather from home yes oh it was great yeah yeah it's like uh, minus two and yeah it's just wonderful cold 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 <laughs> right so because uh because I was on my I was on my deck in my backyard enjoying my eighty degree weather and uh, because you were homebound in the negative ten degree weather. Uh, we, we had some new ideas for the show, didn't we, Dave? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, typically when we do the security doghouse, we only have like one, maybe two people, um, or, or, or companies. And this week we have so many, we've actually had to do brackets and, and we're, we're doing a fantasy league. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. So we'll, we'll let people, uh, decide, uh, who each of these are, are the winners and losers, or I guess we, we all lose, um, but but yeah, that's and and they could go to our show notes and and they could see the bracket and follow along with us too if they'd like. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So where where do they go to see the brackets? Yeah. So you can go to dgshow.org. Uh, D is in Dave. G is in Gunner. Show.org. There you can find the tournament brackets. Uh, and we encourage everybody to participate in that. Um, and you also find links to, uh, some of the product announcements and uh, some of the events uh, that we're going to talk about a little later on. Um. Let's get right into the tournament, Dave. I'm 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 too excited. Yes, yes, yeah. We need some theme music for this. Um, yeah. So let's see. Uh, first up, uh, first contestant is uh, Verizon. Yes, yes. Verizon. Um, so we've talked about this on the show in the past. The super cookies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. So these are these are what super these are cookies that uniquely identify your phone, even if you have deleted all your cookies. Right. Right. They're, yeah, they're, they're unremovable. Um, and now, uh, Verizon is, uh, they're coming around and saying that, uh, they're going to allow people to opt out of the mobile super cookies, um, and soon. Um, so it's not yet though, but, uh, sounds like an opt out as opposed to an opt in. Naturally, naturally. Um, who can, who can blame them? Um, but then, you know, so you say, I don't like Verizon. I'm going to move to a company that cares about my privacy, like AT&T. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's the second contestant in our brackets here. Um, so they, so they will um, your privacy. I guess it's worth uh, thirty bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. right. Thirty thirty dollars a month. The AT and T fiber service uh, will monitor your internet usage and sell that information to advertisers. Unless, uh, well, you could think about this two ways. Unless you pay them thirty dollars a month, or you could also think about it as you get a discount of $30 a month for allowing them to monitor your internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of glass yeah, and give half you full, more half relevant empty. ads. Yeah. 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 That's right. For, um, improving They're my ad ex- you for more relevant ads. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's better ad experience. That's right. So speaking of better ad experiences, um, Lenovo is trying really hard to deliver that for their customers. It's hard to imagine them trying harder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like ordinarily it's like if I want spyware, I have to install it myself, but now, now they're just, preloading adware right right on your uh, right on your laptops it's yeah great. And, so, and so this is this 
this is known in the trade press as Superfish, um, uh, after the company that makes this this spyware. Uh, but uh, Dave, maybe you could explain what Superfish is actually doing that is so awful. Yeah. So let's let's see here. So um, that what they do is they monitor your web traffic while you're shopping, and, and then it shows you similar projects or similar products to the images that pop up in your browser, um, and then. Um, uh, you, even when you're connected through uh, a TLS uh, certificate and everything, it it will still you know it could circumvent that. Oh, uh, so they actually issue their own certificate. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. everybody has the same one, right? Right. So yeah. So what they do is they they install the Superfish certificate authority certificate mm-hmm. gets installed on your machine, and so anything that Superfish signs is made to look like it's okay. In other words, it permits Superfish to pretend as though it were Google or Amazon or Bank of America, which mm-hmm. A, allows it to monitor all of your encrypted traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, B, also allows Superfish to then sell that service to other people. So sorry. so uh, Lenovo actually made money uh, because Superfish paid them uh, to install the software on their machines. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's great. Yeah. And Superfish, they're, they're cool with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. No, they're, they're saying there is no problem. Yeah, they're saying there's no problem. Actually, just as as we're going to press here, uh, they issued a uh, they issued a statement saying that, uh, oh, uh, you know, us issuing our own certificate authority is not a security risk. Yeah, you just have to trust them. Yeah, because you all you got to do is trust them. No big deal. Um, yeah. Speaking of companies that just require absolute trust, uh, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're the next one in our brackets here. So. Um, so let's see that. So they're, they're always, they want to, they're trying to help us too, right? They want us to have a better ad experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I did, I'm so, I'm so delighted to learn so many companies are worried about my ad experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, why waste your time on ads that aren't relevant to you? <laughs> That's right. So thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. So what are they doing? So they're, uh, they're, so, you know, the little Facebook like buttons that are on, uh, like all the, you know, news articles that you read or, you know, somebody's page, it'll say, you know, like, you know, thumbs up. Um, Mm -hmm. that little widget is coming from a Facebook server, which means that Facebook, uh, now has, uh, the ability to track you as you go from one website to another. Mm -hmm. Um, this was, everybody knew that Facebook was doing this and other companies do this. Google does the same thing with the Google plus and whatever. Um, not so bad, I suppose. Uh, except that Facebook is now selling that information to advertisers. Oh, nice. Yeah, so they're finally cashing in on that uh, that trove of data that they've collected. Uh, so so are they selling the data in bulk, or, or are they doing like Google does where it's like they, you know, you basically say, um, hey, I want to advertise to people in a certain age bracket that like to look at these websites, and then um, Facebook is the arbiter of of the ad placement like they're the middleman that you pay the premium to get the, the targeted placement so if i'm facebook and i'm the man in the middle i want to stay in the middle so i'm going to sell yep. the i'm going to sell that bulk data just like google right as yeah. you say um speaking of google they're our next contestant yeah yeah so um yeah so google um like one of the things you know typically you would think that oh i got each of my apps running you know that dan walsh is happy that his android phone is running se android right and it's it, everything's all in their own little force field um, but it looks like uh, Google now ha- they are uh, uh, partnering with uh, over 30 developers to allow information to go out of their apps and into Google now. So um, 
like you can imagine, like you land in a particular airport or something and then um, uh, it'll look at your reservations and then it'll say, hey, wouldn't you like to call Uber up and, and then put a card in Google Now whenever you look there um, so that like it, it tries to tie everything together from all the apps. Well, that sounds like a, actually, that sounds like a good thing, Dave. That sounds like I'm getting a personalized uh, Google Now experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it, it sounds interesting. Um, but to me, it's kind of creepy. I don't know. Uh, like, do we want to do we want Google to know what's going on inside our apps? And maybe they were they know already or and now they're just making it useful to us. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think the only way to resolve this question is plebiscite. I think we're going to throw it out to the uh, Dave and Gunner show listeners and they can decide. Yeah, and see if Google advances to the next round. That's correct. Uh, so next next contestant is Samsung. Yeah, I think they're the number one seed uh, in, <laughs> in the are. tournament this week. <laughs> this one is extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're they are they've had a really good off season and they've been <laughs> they, they're they're on fire right now. Um, so the first thing that they have going on is uh, so. Uh, do you do you have a smart television? I, I no, I don't have a smart television. No. So it's, so it's basically like it uh, it doesn't have any apps on it or anything like that. Uh, no, I I have a projector. Um, oh, okay. So, which has okay. no apps on it at all. So yeah. Yeah. So it's not even a television. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and and I'm I'm very much uh, like I, my TV. It is a smart TV, but I don't have it connected to the internet or anything like that because I have a Roku. Um, but. Um, yeah, so Samsung's doing some interesting things now where um, uh, they had a really creepy privacy policy in terms of, of uh, uh, the, the TV. Uh, you can give it voice commands, and then the privacy policy um, says things like, uh, be aware if your spoken words include personal or sensitive information, that information will be among the data captured and transmitted to a third party through your use of voice recognition. Yeah, that's how. Well, you got to admire their transparency. Well, hey, I'm in my living room. What you know, and and people are worried about what they say in their living room, and and basically anything you say in your living room could be transmitted to Samsung. But, um, but they've tuned up their policy a little bit with it. Um, and the other part that I that I didn't like about that policy saying that it was to a third party, which makes it sound like it could be anybody or a whole group of people. Um, <laughs> But or a government agency, but they changed the the policy a little bit to actually name the the party who it's going to that is doing the transcription service and all that. Um, but one of the, and they also said that hey you know you could always turn it off or turn it on and just don't connect it to the internet. Um, and so they're they're a lot more explicit. They name the 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 third party uh, the third party people, but. Um, you know the the other thing that I saw too is that uh, somebody uh, compared the the policy privacy with uh, text from 1984. <laughs> right, right, of yeah. course. So, yeah, so that was that was pretty good. And people can go to the show notes and 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 do that nice comparison. So that that was pretty good. Um, but then then the other thing is um, that that audio that you send up to Samsung that goes to the third party um, that. And also the the transcription that comes back and all that, um, it it is apparently not encrypted. <laughs> so they're trying really hard to win this bra- uh, the the doghouse award. Um, yeah, yeah. So they're doing that, and and it even gets even more interesting. Um, there's another thing that uh, that uh, came out with the Samsung televisions is that uh, that they're 
uh, some like you know how like you can have your your TV and then you could plug in like Plex or uh, plug in a, a USB drive and look at uh, an MPEG movie that you have on you know and watch the MPEG from your um, from your uh, uh, just plugged in your television set and watch that mm-hmm. and people were were reporting that hey I'm watching a movie through the Plex app and it's somehow Samsung is inserting ads into while I'm trying to watch this movie. So, <laughs> improving your ad experience, improving right, your ad experience. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, why? Yeah, yeah. So they, they've gone out of their way. Um, but it looks like in this case, it, they they are claiming that that is a bug. Um, but there is um, there there you know. So people were seeing like Pepsi ads while they were watching their locally stored movies uh, off of off of their Plex app. And so, like, if you're installing, I guess if you're installing apps. Um, like smart apps on your television set, they were they were figuring out ways to insert ads into the media while you're while you're watching that, and and what Samsung was saying is that oh that was a mistake. Um, that's where you know people can actually opt in to look at those ads, and and I'm just thinking all right, who would be like oh my gosh I don't have any ads on this and and I need I need a way to opt in and so I could look at ads while I'm watching local movies. Um, so that that really surprised me. Yeah, so, well, I mean, I would be happy to have a Pepsi ad inserted into my movies for if I had to pay Samsung thirty less dollars a month uh, yeah. for use of the television, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yikes. Um, all right. So, but but it's it, obviously the world of software and networks is uh, is incredibly dangerous. Uh, so let's move into the physical world with our next contestant, who's Uber. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so they are working on improving um, the security of their experience by adding a uh, panic button to their app so that anytime you're using their service, um, if, if you uh, are worried, um, you can press a panic button inside the app and it will alert the local police and provide the GPS coordinates of where you are and all that. So that's pretty nice, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of nice. You have a service that's so dangerous it needs a panic button. Right. Yeah. And, and to me, it's like, you know, the, the product designers there are like, I think they're focusing on the wrong things. Right. You know, yeah, it's like, no kidding. If, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, well, you know, you have the airlines and then they'll give you panic buttons if, if you're feeling threatened on an airplane or whatever. It's like, <laughs> I, yeah. So the, at first it, it's going to roll out in India, but now they're going to be doing it in Chicago, too. So they, they could add a panic button. So. Um, and then the onion, um, they, they actually, um, they have a, a take on it, uh, where one of my favorite quotes is, um, it's nice knowing Uber is willing to do everything it can to protect its customers short of properly screening its drivers. So true. So true. I also like, uh, about this news that, uh, the same update to the app, uh, will yes, include the panic button, but it will also include the, the, uh, location and journey sharing feature. Um, yes. which they're, which they are packaging as a safety exercise. Um, but as we know from previous leaks in this company, um, they really enjoy keeping track of where people go on Uber, uh, and selling that information to people. Yes. Yeah. So that is the whirlwind tour of our, of our, uh, the brackets for our, uh, Thunderdome. So will people be able to go and vote on, on who they, uh, who they want to win? That's right. So go to dgshow.org. Um, we'll have the brackets up uh, on the uh, on the show notes there. Um, feel free to uh, feel free to uh, vote uh, for the winner uh, in each bracket, and uh, we'll come back next week uh, with the second round. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what, what's new in public sector? 
Uh, so we've actually been really busy in public sector, especially, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of our fourth quarter, Dave, mm-hmm. um, for, of our fiscal year. Um, and uh, been unusually active given given it's the end of the year. Um, mm-hmm. To start with, uh, let's see, the National Reconnaissance Office, the good people at the NRO, um, just threw up some stuff on GitHub. Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, um, what did they do? So they uh, so these guys uh, these guys collect well it's the NRO so you know exactly what they do they um, uh, they chew through tons and tons of data a lot of it classified and uh, that's complicated right when you're building a, a large scale computational system that needs to handle data at different levels you need to keep all that data separate um, but you don't want to have to build a brand new computational engine for every kind of classification that you've got right so you yeah. need kind of a general purpose multi-level HPC system. Um, and if you are in the market for such a thing, um, uh, the NRO has put up a bunch of code up on GitHub uh, that will uh, configure rail servers, um, uses SE Linux, of course, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I was, was going to ask that. Dan Dan was probably like uh, listening and say, is it SE Linux? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, it's an SE Linux-based uh, MLS HPC system up there on, uh, up there on GitHub. Pretty cool. Um, let's see, uh, moving into the, uh, UAV space, um, mm-hmm. our, uh, our colleague, Matt Zager, uh, mm-hmm. over there on the middleware team, just had an article in, uh, Red Hat House Oregon Military Embedded Systems. Um, mm-hmm. we, we seem to be publishing a lot in that magazine lately, um, which I'm very happy about. Um, mm-hmm. so Matt had an article up there about ways that open source middleware can help out, um, uh, especially on the, the ground stations, uh, for the UAVs, um, getting them to get them to work more efficiently and connect back to the, back to the home office. Uh, so nice work, Matt. It was an excellent mm-hmm. article. Um, and then we get two product releases. Uh, mm-hmm. we got Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization and Red Hat's OpenStack. Uh, new versions of those just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm, uh, which I am super excited about. I, I, I really enjoy, you know, we've been having a lot of conversations with customers about, uh, about infrastructure as a service and virtualization and when to use OpenStack and when to use Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization. Um, these products just keep getting better and better in every iteration. I know that's corny to say, but they, they really do. Um, Rev is now capable of inception, I like to call the feature. Yes. Um, so Rev, the Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization, can actually host itself. Um, yes. And that may sound a little goofy, but uh, so Matt, here's the use case, Dave. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm in a Humvee. Um, mm-hmm. I got two pizza boxes in the back, right? And I got all my apps in the pizza boxes. Mm-hmm. And the reason I have two pizza boxes is in case one of those pizza boxes fails. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I want to use virtualization uh, to get more apps onto those, onto those pizza boxes. Mm-hmm. The trouble is... Um, with Rev, in the past, you would have needed three pizza boxes uh, because you need one for to actually host the Rev engine and then two others to host your workloads. Well, now yeah, that Rev is self-hosting and can manage the virtualization that it's actually run, that it itself is running on, you only need the two pizza boxes, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, pretty nice. cool. Um, and then Red Hat OpenStack. So of course we're you know slurping down the latest uh, updates from the upstream OpenStack community. Um, so now there's uh, better support for IPv6, um, some uh, some networking improvements, um, some high availability stuff with the uh, uh, with the networking as well. Um, so anyway, a ton of a ton of miscellaneous improvements. Um, but uh, the I think the pace of improvements on OpenStack is also improving, uh, which is super cool to see. Mm, I'm very excited about that. Um, Finally, and maybe most significant, um, so I actually follow this uh, online design rag uh, called uh, Design Milk, Um, Mm -hmm. and they kind of feature, you know, architects and artists. Um, It's a nice way to kind of, you know, 
check out beautiful things. And mm-hmm. uh, I open up my uh, Design Milk RSS feed, and what is in the RSS feed? But the Red Hat headquarters. Oh wow! Isn't that cool? Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So they they did a, they did a little write up on the uh, on the new Red Hat headquarters in Raleigh. Uh, they're the Red Hat Tower. Um, some beautiful shots of the interior and the exterior. Um, just lovely. Um, so if you've never been to the headquarters and you want to see what it looks like, uh, go check out this uh, link on Design Milk. It's in the show notes. Yeah, I, I love the the style and architecture of the the Red Hat Tower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit a uh, little bit Mad Men, a little bit two thousand one. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So you you were at the Willard a little while ago, right? Yeah. So I I keynoted this uh, panel that uh, uh, Joel Jackson had a middleware. Um, he was he ran this panel with. Uh, I'm going to forget everybody was on it. There were like six people on it, but it was like Sonny Hashmi, the GSA CIO, uh, Frank Chesney, the uh, Air Force CIO. Um, there would be really like a high-powered panel. I don't think we've done a, a high-powered panel like that in the past. And you know what was cool? about There were two things cool about it, Dave. The, the first thing about this panel that was great was uh, Sonny Hashmi saying, open will win every time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talking about open source and, and open standards and things like that, so I, I don't think I've ever heard a CIO from the government talk about talk about it like that. Um, uh, also surprising on this panel was a lot of the panelists were saying that uh, private cloud was a temporary and necessary evil, and that over the long term they think they're all going to move to public cloud. Hmm. Interesting. So does that mean? Yeah. Do, do they mean uh, private cloud and do they count virtualized infrastructure as that? Or is it, is it, do they mean more like uh, literally the, the strictest defi- definition of private cloud where it's, you know, cattle? Yeah, so, the, well, exactly. So this was actually a, a topic of conversation is uh, one of the things that they're wrestling with is uh, the uh, the scale-up architectures versus the scale-out architectures and how some of the early failures of quote-unquote private cloud are because they were trying to take uh, the scale-up kind of traditionally built applications and trying to stuff them into an architecture that was built for scale-out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... There was a, they were recognizing that for a long time they're going to be running kind of the traditional stuff right alongside the new stuff and need to be able to do both at the same time and being able to do them both either on-premise or off-premise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the kind of the decisions they make, the decisions that they make have to move in kind of a bunch of dimensions at once. Um, anyway, totally fascinating. Um, there will be a recording of the panel posted, uh, and when it is, we'll be sure to include it in, uh, in the show notes. Mm, good, good. Okay. Yeah. So it's cool. All right. So Dave, I got a pop quiz. Okay. Okay. So under federal law, mm-hmm. how long does it take before your emails are no longer private? They're always private forever. False. Uh, 180 days. 180 days. Wow. So, yeah. So this is a little public service announcement. So uh, under a law that was written in the mid-90s, um, if you have posted your electronic communications to a third party like Google or Yahoo or, or Hotmail or whatever, if, uh, if that email has been on that service for more than 180 days, the government can get that email without a warrant. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, kind of a kind of a big surprise, right? So uh, the reason why the reason why this is back in the news is uh, because there's now a bill before Congress to uh, close that loophole. Um, obviously, the world is quite different than it was when that law was written, um, mm-hmm. and so they're they're trying to shore that up so that it's no longer the case. But uh, 
you know, if you've got uh, if you've got emails that are over 180 days old uh, sitting on a Gmail server somewhere, you might want to uh, might want to go ahead and take care of that. So there's something else to think about on this rule is uh, it's bad enough if you're a person and it only takes 180 days for your email to quote unquote go public. Um, think about if you're a company mm-hmm. and you've got sensitive customer information, whatever, all that stuff is also going to be available to the government. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, so sleep well. Um, okay, I got another <laughs> pop quiz. Yeah. Uh, who's responsible for information technology in the federal government? Samsung. <laughs> you would think. Um, yeah. There was a wonderful article written about this uh, because it is not at all clear. Uh, it turns out that there are dozens of people responsible for different aspects of federal IT policy and direction, uh, and some... Uh, kind-hearted journalists went through the hard work of actually untangling all of the relationships between the people and the organizations and did a little write-up on basically who's running the show. Um, anyway, anybody who works in federal IT, anybody who sells software to federal IT should definitely read this article. I found it was totally fascinating. They mentioned organizations and people that I had never heard of. Uh, so wow. go uh, definitely go check that out. Yeah. Well, that, that's, you know, that, that is very different than, you know, selling in the commercial space right when because when you talk to the cto of walmart or the cio of walmart there is one and you know those decisions that get made ripple down but but now with the but with the federal government it's almost like many multiple companies right where they're all um you know you you have cios and ctos all over the place even even within an agency Mm -hmm. yeah that's right that's right yeah exactly in fact yeah you'll have cios and ctos for particular programs inside different kind of subcomponents of an agency yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. so if you win one over that absolutely doesn't mean that you have the whole agency on board or the federal government for that mm-hmm. matter mm-hmm. yeah and if and if you're inside the agency even if you make a decision to move in one direction or another or to adopt in the in the case of the panel uh, adopting a public cloud or not uh, that will have virtually no effect on anyone who is not directly underneath you right mm. yeah fascinating mm. So I got one. I got one last thing, Dave. Um, so, are you you ever heard of the Adobe Kickbox? No. Is is it? Sounds like. Well, I, I'm surprised Adobe isn't on one of our brackets because of their security uh, uh, um, history. Um, but yeah, but an Adobe Kickbox sounds like something that uh, you you abuse Adobe with. <laughs> so, well, the, the Kickbox is is actually an internal project at Adobe. Uh, yeah. Right, it's a it's a creative company serving kind of creatively minded customers. Right, they do Photoshop and all these you know illustration and design tools, okay. uh, and you get to be a company the size of Adobe, and you need to figure out how to how to stay innovative even though you're very very large. Um, they created this initiative called Adobe Kickbox, and the idea is to empower Adobe employees to mm-hmm. take good ideas and give them the tools and the guidance they need to take those good ideas and turn them into something real. And so oh. there's a kind of a training course or a, a, there's kind of an initiation that these kind of entrepreneurial employees go through. And mm-hmm. then they are given a red box. And inside that red box is basically a, a manual and a Visa card pre-charged with $1,000. And they're oh. told, go nuts. Hmm. Um, it sounds a lot like the Google, uh, Google's uh, 20% time. Yeah, yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's even it's even more exciting than that though because they actually give them money to to do yeah. things, right? Um, yeah. 
and I, I, I've just become really enamored of the idea. Um, I like this idea. You know, there's a lot of like bland talk, especially in large organizations about empowering, you know, empowering staff and things like that. Um, giving somebody a thousand dollars is that is empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. is, um, that's not lip service. Um, that is a real commitment and saying like the company believes in you, uh, and to a lesser extent, your idea, uh, and we can't wait to see what you do with these thousand dollars. I just thought that was really cool. I thought that was great. And to and to make it uh, DNG show ready, uh, they took the project and they open sourced it. So it's all available yeah. on uh, kickbox.adobe.com. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. So d- does like to me, I wonder if that would possibly lead to like shadow IT, where it's like, oh, I got a thousand bucks, so I'm going to spin up some Amazon instances and do stuff and. Would that be mm-hmm. possible, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, or is that a good I, idea? Yeah, you know, it's no, that's a really good question. I think, um, I think to a certain extent, it's meant to create shadow IT um, yeah. because the the whole premise of this is that you need to empower somebody to work outside the traditional power structures in order to kind of harness their their good idea or their mm-hmm. kind of creative energy. If they had to go through and go through like a normal requisition process or whatever, uh, the idea probably wouldn't get anywhere. Um, and so the whole point is to have them kind of almost like red team their own organization, um, Mm -hmm. by, uh, you know, by giving them all the tools to, to do so. Uh, it reminds me actually of, uh, what's that, that novel, uh, stainless steel rat. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds familiar. Did you ever read that? No. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, so it's a sci-fi novel and it it takes place in the future. The sci-fi novel where the government is so ruthlessly efficient, uh, Mm -hmm. that it becomes, uh, tyrannical. Right, because uh, any government that is super efficient is naturally tyrannical, right? Because uh, you know the accumulation they know the of right laws answer. and they're all yeah. perfectly executed. They know the right answer, right? Exactly. And so, as a counterbalance to this, uh, they create a team of people whose job it is to interfere with the government, and they are ironically a government department. Um, and so, it's a whole government department devoted exclusively to uh, to throwing sand in the gears. Um, you know, a really interesting idea and similar in spirit to this, this, uh, this kickbox notion that, um, uh, using the traditional bureaucracy in a company, you wouldn't be able to, uh, you wouldn't be able to take this creative idea and get it to the, uh, get it over the finish line. So instead we're going to give people all the power that they need, um, to do it outside the traditional power structure. Pretty neat. Mm. I thought. Cool. I'll have to check that out. So, Dave, if uh, folks want links uh, to the uh, tournament brackets, uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to this uh, Adobe Kickbox we were just talking about, um, or to anything else we've talked about uh, on the show today, where, where should they go? Yeah, they should go to dgshow.org. So, D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. All right, excellent. And uh, please vote for uh, please vote for in the brackets, and uh, we'll see who uh, we'll see who's the winner next week. Yeah, nice. Okay, well, thanks, Gunner, and thanks everybody for listening. <laughs>